Now, with that in mind, we are in the book of Deuteronomy. Deutas means second or two. Namas means law. And the idea of it's the second giving of the law. We are at the end of the book now. We pick it up at the end of chapter 32. We've been going through a section where the focus has really been on living life one of two different ways. By the law or by the altar. If you want to live by the law, it's going to be rough. Because you're going to be judged without mercy because the law is issued without mercy to anyone who breaks it. You are required to keep all of it. And if you, what you want to think is the way to be right with God is by your performance, well then, good luck with that. Because it has to be perfect. God demands perfection in regards to our being right with Him. Here's the good news. God has provided through the altar the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. Perfect sacrifice. God, tempted in every way, yet without sin. And God's, here's the good thing. God didn't ask for you to be perfect. He asked for you to choose the perfect. So you could choose your actions, but then they have to be perfect. You could choose your ambitions, but that has to be perfect. Or you could choose the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which we know is perfect. So might I say, choose wisely. We're in Deuteronomy 32, verse 44 is where we pick it up. Last week, if you remember, Moses taught his song to the people. It was a symphony of calamity. We might call it Yeshurun Kicked. Or it can be a rock love song called Peace at the Altar. It's either resting on the rock of God or kicking at God by trying to be right some other way. But let's face it. If you are seeking to refuse the gift God offers, having His Son tortured at the cross for our sins, raised again, the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, known by His scars and revelation, and then... You'd say, hmm, what else you got? I'd rather do it myself. How could God not be offended? Deuteronomy 32.44 starts with this. So Moses came with Joshua, the son of Nun, and spoke all the words of this song to the hearing of the people. And Moses finished speaking all these words to all Israel. And he said to them, set your hearts on all the words in which I testify among you today which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law. It is not a futile thing for you because it's your life. And by, the, by this word, you shall prolong your days in the land in which you cross over the Jordan to possess. Then the Lord spoke to Moses that very same day, saying, Go up this mountain of the Abarim, Mount Nivo, which is in the land of Moab, across from Jericho, View the land of Canaan, Canaan, which he, which I will give to the children of Israel as a possession, and die on the mountain in which you ascend, and be gathered to your people, just as Aaron your brother died on Mount Hor, and was gathered to his people, because you trespassed against me among the children of Israel at the waters of Meribah, Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin, because you did not hollow me in the midst of the children of Israel. Yet you shall see the land before you, go, before you, though you shall not go there into the land in which I'm giving to the children of Israel. Let's pray. We're going to start there. Lord, thank you so much for your word, active and living, sharper than a double-edged sword. And no matter where we've come from, be it from the darkest depths or from the place where we still feel like we're just walking hand in hand with you, Speak our language today that we would get it, we would understand it, that we would say, all right, all right, I get it, and respond accordingly. So Lord, by your word now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, cause your word to burst open and flourish. Color in the black and white. Captivate us in your word every second captivated. And may we have so much fun in your word now. So Lord... Immerse me in your spirit that you would be seen and come upon me in such a way that you would do through me what I cannot humanly do. Speak to every one of us individually where we need to hear you and corporately as a family. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say today, as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be your authority. 
Now, clearly what's happened here is the song has been taught and there is a challenge noticed, by the way, at this particular portion. And it's really twofold. Verses 46 and 47. Look at that with me. In verse 46, he says, set your hearts on this. And then in verse 47, what would happen if you don't or do? He tells us that this is more than just set your mind on it. And get the idea that maybe in your hands, if you would picture this with me, in one hand is your mind and in another hand is your heart. And there are things that you could put them upon. We're a lot less careful with what we put our mind on because we can quote verses from a lot of other things than Scripture. I've seen people that are like, I can't memorize a single verse in Scripture. But then they like you put on a certain movie, and it's like it's amazing how they can walk you through the entire Frozen movie. I get the idea, oh, you can memorize, you just need to set your mind to it. And the reason I say that is we can set our minds to a lot of things where we know it. But the problem with Christianity often isn't just that we don't know it. When we do know it, we don't know it like we should know it. The way we should know it is much more than our brains. Our brains are basically there so that we can argue with someone else. But our hearts are there to make the decisions ourselves. And what he's saying is do more than know this song. Do more than be able to sing the lyric. And don't just say, oh, it's got a nice beat. It's easy to dance to. This is a song where your heart needs to find the rhythm of it and start moving to it. Because here, here, the idea is this song was a song that God said, look it, I've given you every reason to stay with me. If you cling to me as your rock, you'll be great. If you go off on your own in any other way, you're going to get worked. So make your choice. Which rhythm are you going to follow? Which beat of which drum are you going to follow? And he says, I want to let you know, this isn't a futile thing. But it's your life. Now, Christians, please hear me in this. Please hear me. This is the problem we face in this country. And not just this country, but in any country. But this country, it seems like the ongoing theme is so much more than just, let me talk to you about Jesus. And like, well, who is that? I mean, there are certainly places in the world where you can go and you know that what they've heard is wrong. And you kind of know, you kind of gear up. And you're like, let me tell you about Jesus. Oh, I know about Jesus. I'm like, hold on a second. And you know that the next ten minutes, what you're going to hear is everything unbiblical. And like, let me introduce you to the real Jesus. But the, today, it's interesting, it's the theme here, tell me if you disagree, but the theme here is like, what's the point? It's like, let me tell you about Jesus, and you're like, why? What's the difference? What, what's the point of it? What's the point of your religious thing? And you're like, oh, I'm so happy. Yeah, good for you. You know, I get drunk in the bar. And you go, no, that's not the same thing. I have peace. Well, I'm sedated. That's not the same thing. I have hope. Well, uh, I've got money. That's not the same thing. Paul, when he spoke about his education, and he said that in his society, he was the man. Educationally, he was the man. Positionally, he was the man. Politically, he was the man. But he said, I count all but loss, not for Christianity. He says, for the excellence of of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. He says, man, there was all of this stuff, and just to know, to know Him, I mean, to know Him. He says, I count it all, but lost. And he says, I count it rubbish, but the word in the Greek is the word scubula. So say the word scubula. Congratulations, you just said poop. That's what the word is. Puts a whole new meaning behind Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo. Anyways, so get this with me. The idea is Paul looks and he goes, you know what I counted? I counted a big pile. He goes, I mean, like all my power and all my money and all my influence and all of that stuff, all of my awards, all of my whatever, all of my accolades and all kind of academia. He goes, I counted but a big pile compared to. He doesn't just say, I call it all that, because if you don't compare it to something, it's not going to look like a pile of anything but what you want. He goes, man... Just to know. I mean, not to know about Jesus. That's this, putting your hand on it, your head on it. But to know my, with my heart, to know Jesus. Because, oh man, to know Him. Nothing compares anymore. With all due respect, ladies, all oh, y'all just can't compare to my wife. You never will. Now, the good news is none of y'all competing, so that's good news. But let me just say that... The, the amount of intimacy that I have with my wife over the 25 years we've been married, the amount, I mean, for the things that the Lord has done in our lives together, that we hold together, nobody can compare to that. 
And it isn't like you're not wonderful and you're not awesome. The point is, in comparison, there's just nothing like knowing her. But, and I know my wife won't object to this, but that's nothing like knowing him. Perfect in every way, absolutely loving me. And understand what he says is, look, it's not a futile thing. When you're going out there and you're talking to people about Jesus and prayerful you are, don't go in there and try to argue with them. You know what Paul said? He said, look it, when I go out and I share the truth of Jesus Christ, it's a loose paraphrase, but I can get closer to it if you want, in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, I do it, I share the truth of the cross of Christ, not the wisdom of words of men. He goes, because I want you to rely on the power of God, not on the arguing skills of a man. And I don't think we get that anymore. I don't think we really get that the gospel really is the power of salvation. I don't think we really get these days that if we really actually just do it honestly and simply and plainly, God will do the work. Somehow we kind of feel like we're the craftsman or we're the carpenter instead of we're actually the tool that he uses. And the difference is radical. So you understand, when I open up the word here, I expect God to minister not because of anything in me other than the one who is in me. And I know his word does the work. He says, it's not a futile thing, beloved. And you're like, well, I don't think I could go out and share with someone because I can't answer all their questions. Stop worrying about answering every question. You have the answer. Remember that. Because it's not a futile thing. It's your life. Or is it? That same writer would say in Philippians, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Many of us are quite familiar with that verse as if we put our head upon it, our, our mind upon it. But if we put our heart upon it. You see, you'll never be able to say to die is gain if you can't say to live is Christ. To live as Christ means that everything in my life right now is absorbed in Jesus. And to be honest, one day when I cash in this jersey, all I do is just get to see him more clearly. What I get right now in rough phrase, I will get in high death when I stand before him. There's the idea. So the Lord says, now listen. After he's given this and he says, now don't just set your minds upon this. And can I just say today, as we get ready for the next portion, don't just set your mind upon it. And this is why I'm really asking for you guys to go go to prayer. Here's the interesting thing. At the beginning of this section here, God says, Moses, it's time to die. At the end of the book, he says, then Moses dies. In between that, those two pieces of bread is the sandwich, which is chapter 33, and that is the blessings. Moses has one last thing to do. You know what he does? He blesses the tribes. That's an interesting thing. So listen to this. By the time we get to chapter 34, what we'll see is that it says, and Moses, that man, when he died, his virility was not weakened. His eyes were not dim. His strength was not lessened. And so that's a weird thing. And you think, well, how did he die? It wasn't like he was sick. It wasn't, I mean, though he says, I can't come in and go out, but it sounds like that's more like the Lord didn't let him do that. Because what God says about the whole thing is, man, that guy was a fireball till he died. You can see him going, yeah, 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 amen. And then he died. And you kind of go, well, what killed him? Can I just say, it's an appointment he had to make, and he wasn't going to be late for it. This is what it says in Scripture, by the way, and I want you to realize, this is where we kind of, we'll kind of keep bouncing back to this Hebrews 9-7, because in Hebrews 9-7 it says, it is appointed unto man to die once, and then to judgment. You don't get a second shot. This whole reincarnation thing sounds real lovely, maybe, unless you want to be a cockroach or whatever. But the idea is, is that scripturally you get one chance and this is it. And when you cash in that jersey and you stand before the Lord, it's your one shot. This is it right now. Now we can't even guarantee when that is, but I can tell you right now, every one of us has an appointment. You will not be late for it and you will not be early for it. God knows exactly. He's counted your breaths, your breaths. And when you breathe your last, it's done. It isn't like you're going to get another one somewhere and borrow it from someone else. And the reason I say that is, God wants you to know that there is an appointment when you stand before Him. What perfect thing are you holding on to to stand right before God? What perfect thing? I claim Jesus. Perfect in every way. So listen, as we move on to the chapter, verse chapter 33. Now, this is the blessing in which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. Stop. Now, wait a minute. I, I thought that they were already blessed as tribes. So let, me give you, let me give you a little bit of backstory, if I could. 
Over four generations ago, well, eight generations ago, there was a man who had a son who had a son. And that man's grandson, the original guy, Abraham, has a son whose name is Laughter, Isaac, a gift from God, a son of promise. That son, by the way, or that, that son, Isaac, has, uh, has twins. And the twins he has is one guy that's a hunter named Esau, Harry. And then another guy, his name is Jacob, or heel catcher. Heel catcher was, by the way, the idea of catching a heel is the idea, by the way, of someone that's a, a thief, a cheat, a, a sneaky, rotten scoundrel. That's kind of the idea. It's important to be the firstborn, and the idea was is that though the first one was the hairy red guy that kind of looked like caveman, the hand of the other boy was on his heel as if to pull him back in, saying, oh, you ain't getting out first, for the idea that. And so they, they kind of named it. So imagine being raised with the name like ripoff or sneak or cheat. Hi, you're in school. You're in primary school. What's your name? Cheat. And you like that? That'd be rough. And ultimately, this man's going to get into a battle with God. As he gets into a battle with God, he will wind up wrestling all night with him, but it only takes one touch of his hip to dislocate him, and down he goes. Now today, if you fight competitively, you can win in several different ways. You can certainly win by knocking a person out. You can win by points. Or you can win by the other person submitting. Today, the way that they do that is they either throw in the towel or they tap the mat three times. That says, please, just let me go. We're done. You win. In those days, the way that it works is it tells us, by the way, the lesser is always blessed by the greater. That's the standard scripture teaches us. Is that you throw yourself at their feet and say, bless me. That's saying, I'm convi- I'm commi- I am confessing I am the lesser man. And that's what he does. Down at his feet, this man, heel catcher, gets a name change. And it's interesting because as he's down at his feet, I wonder what it would be like. There's Jacob at his foot, grabbing his heel. He goes, what's your name, heel catcher? Did you ever catch that? And he's like, yeah, well, I'm not going to call you that anymore. I'm going to call you Sarah El. Sarah, Sarai, means struggles, fought with, contended. El, like Elohim or Elacha, means God. You struggled with God. Here's the funny part. He says, you struggled with God, but you won. Do you know how you won? He surrendered. Only in God's economy could you actually surrender and win in the process. How does that work? And he has a bunch of kids. Now, now listen, listen closely. Ultimately, what will happen is he's in love with this girl, and, but her dad is just as much of a sneaky, rotten scoundrel as he is. So he does, on the wedding night, the bait and switch. Gives the boy his, her older sister. Now, how would you like that, ladies? You know, dad says, you know what, I know he likes you, but, or he likes your younger sister, but you're never going to get married. We're going to have to ha- pretend to be your sister so that someone will marry you. How does that make you feel? And she's got to go, in there, mm, yeah, Rachel. And, and he, you know, you can imagine the surprise when he makes them in the, in the morning. They're in the morning light. Starts to show. He's like, ah! How do you want that as you're like, you? welcome to your honeymoon. Your husband just looked over at you and screamed and ran out of the room. But you're not who I thought you were. He's got to work another six. He's got to work another seven years for the girl. He was fourteen years. He'll be in service for this girl. It tells us, by the way, the years are like days. And now the boy's married twice. Here's the problem: the one that was the first married, the one that wasn't loved, Leah is her name. All we read about her, she had weak eyes. These are arguments about what that means, but the bottom line is clearly she wasn't as cute as her sister, who we read was beautiful in face and form. She just wants to be loved. But there's something interesting because though the younger sister, the cute one, she's not having any children, but the older she is. And she has a couple of children. Like, for instance, the first one she names, see, a son. Now he's going to love me. You know, they say that, that in the Middle East, the call of the, of the wife would be to bring an heir and a spare. See, a son. And then the second one, Shima'un, he has heard. God has heard my groanings. Now my husband will love me. Third, Levi, Levi. She says, and that means attached. Oh, now my husband will be attached to me. Fourth, Judah, Judah, from where we get Jew today, means praise. Oh, now my husband will praise me. I've given him four sons. Can you see all she wanted was to be loved? Interesting. Of What will happen is this father, this Jacob that's now, is now called Israel, will have 12 children. Well, more than 12, but 12 boys. Because we know of at least one daughter named Dinah from Genesis 34. 
Of those, this girl Leah will have six of those children. Now, now, let me just make this really clear. God never endorsed polygamy. It wasn't like God said, here, have a couple women, have a couple others. So gentlemen, stop daydreaming. Let me just say, don't you go trying to cash a check that reality ain't willing to back up. So listen to me on this. Truth be told, God was not allowing it, but he was allowing it, but he was certainly not endorsing it. And there were 12 boys. Of those 12 boys, there are all kinds of problems with the infighting. You can imagine. Because it's those two girls and their two handmaidens that bear forth. Each of the handmaidens bear forth two children. That equals four. And then the six. And, and so you kind of get the idea how this sort of whole thing works out. Now those boys will all grow up. The oldest, Reuben, by the way, will actually sleep with one of the handmaidens. So dad says, you're not getting the firstborn status. The next two, by the way, in a revenge killing of the entire town, the men of Shechem, because of what they had done to her sister, sister, he actually removes them from it and ultimately bestows the firstborn on the 11th child. Do you know why the 11th? Because the 11th child was the firstborn from Rachel. And he skipped 10 kids just because it was the first one that came from the wife he loved. But God did not overlook that. Ultimately, God would bring his Messiah to the one who wanted love. She was never overlooked. She was loved by God and she would know it ultimately. Now this boy, this Joseph, the oldest, has two boys. And what happens is dad bestowing on the firstborn gives a blessing to the two of them. Ephraim and Manasseh are their names. And now you have, in essence, 13 groups. You have the 12 original boys, and that Joseph boy has two. And what is interesting is what that means is God can pick and choose. There were 12 originally, but one gets pulled out, and another one gets added in. And that's interesting, because that sort of sets me up for Jesus and his 12 boys, now doesn't it? One of those would betray him, but ultimately they'd bring in another in his place. I think that's interesting. So here's the point of this. Why bless here? So at the end of that, of this guy Jacob, or Israel's life, he blesses his children. As a father would bless his children. It's interesting, though, the way that a father blesses his children is very different from this. Because to be honest, those blessings didn't seem so sweet to those older boys. Unstable as water, you will never excel. Who wants that blessing from their dad? Or, you guys are violent and cruel, instruments of torture. He says, let my soul not enter your assembly. Who wants that blessing? But interesting here, I don't see any of that. I don't see anywhere in this text Moses getting off on someone like that and going, oh, yeah, you think you're all that, but check this out. Can I say maybe what we're looking at here is something deeper? Moses is about to die. I mean, think about it. God says, your time is up. The first thing you think is, well, I need to bless some people before I die. Is that your first thought? I like that it's Moses's. But can I say it's as if he were giving a pastor's blessing? And this is why I'm asking you to listen carefully. And if you're the kind that would take any notes at all, please take these notes with me. And the reason is because I'm going to ask for you to identify which of these is you. And what, and what it seems like is with every one of these blessings, there's like a theme. Like he's praying this blessing over this tribe, and he's praying this blessing over this tribe, and this blessing over this tribe. And the question in the end of it all is, which of these is you? Because when we get done with this text, which will go relatively quick, when we go through this text, my prayer is at the end, you'll grab the people around you and say, if you'd be willing, hey, um, I'd really like this pray. Would you, be, would you just pray this with me today? I identify with this the most right now. Well, to wet your whistle on that, let's take a look at it. So this is what it says. Here are the blessings. It tells us, by the way, again, Moses could only get so far. He could only get to the mountain, but he couldn't get across. And of course, Moses is a representative of the law. It is important to recognize that the standard God set up, Moses gets to demonstrate, which is if you're going to rely on the law, you've got to be perfect. And he said, Moses, you failed at one thing. That was enough. Because if you're going to rely on the law, it's not enough unless it's perfect. And Moses, you failed, and that's enough. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, it tells us the law was our tutor to lead us to Christ. Pedagogos. The idea was somebody that leads us to that place ultimately where someone better, the Father, could take over. So, he speaks of the God of Yeshurun. He says in chapter 33, verse 2, The Lord came down from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone from Mount Peran, and he came with ten thousands of saints. From his right hand came a fiery law for him. We loves his people. All his saints are in your hand. 
They sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your words. Moses commanded the law for, a law for us, a heritage of the congregation of, of Jacob. He was the king or king in Yeshurun. Remember, that means the upright. The living at the altar, Jesus will be your king. When the leaders of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel gathered together. Here's our 12 now. Verse 6, first one. Let Reuben live and not die. Would you say, Reuben? Reuben, Reuben see his son. Nor let his men be few. That's all he gets. It's important to recognize in the book of, of Numbers, and I'll try not to bounce too much, but I want to kind of give us a little bit in this, that Reuben, by the way, there's two, um, there's two censuses or sensi, one in Numbers 1 and one in Numbers 26. This particular young boy, he will be decreased at least 3,000, or roughly 3,000 people. And you can see him saying, well, let him not die out. But notice, the point is, is that Reuben, what we're familiar with from, the, from that point on, is they're the ones who settled east of the Jordan. Do you remember that? Where though God had promised them the area west of the Jordan, they settled east. It was Reuben, Manasseh, uh, half-tribe of Manasseh, Reuben, God, half-tribe of Manasseh. And so they're the first to fall, by the way, because they're the first. Well, and it's the idea of kind of getting kind of in it, but not all the way. The blessing he prays, though, if you think about it, is quite simple. As Reuben is here and he just says, let him live and not die. And let not his men be few. Might I just say his prayer is life and fruitfulness. Make him fruitful. God, don't let him die. Give him life. Let me ask you, do you know the difference between being alive and existing? Scripture makes clear in the, book, in the New Testament that those are two very different Greek words. The word for exist is the word bios, like we get biology from it. It means to exist. Your lungs expand. You breathe in and out. Your blood pumps to whatever degree. That's not life. That's just existing. 5 p.m., go to the center of the city and wait on the northern line. You'll see people come in and off like a herd of cattle. They're existing. Blank and vacant. But that's not us. Can I say as your pastor, I'm praying every one of these for you. Will God give you life and fruitfulness? Is that the one that you would say, okay, I identify with this? It's interesting. You'll find no judge, no prophet, no prince from, Ru, from Reuben. Well, let's move forward. The next then is, notice is Judah. It's interesting. The group you will not see, and we'll see later. You can see if you can remember, if you remember the tribes at all, see if you can pick out the one that's missing. It says of Judah, hear the, hear the Lord, the voice of Judah. Hear, Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him to his people. Let his hands be sufficient for him. May you be a help against his enemies. Can I say what this pastor has prayed for Judah is for sufficiency and strength. Hey, there are battles for Judah to fight. Judah will always be the ones leading people into battle. He'll be, they'll be the group leading them across the Jordan into this battle. And I ask, do you know people like that? They're the first to the fray. Well, this pastor here is praying, God, make them sufficient with what you give them. And give them the strength for those battles. Maybe right now you feel like you're insufficient. Maybe right now you feel weak. Well, maybe that prayer's for you. That word's for you today. He goes to Levi next. Levi, he says, Let your Thummim and your Urim be with your Holy One, whom you tested at Massa, and whom you contended at the waters of Erebus, which, by the way, that's the failure of Moses, who says... Of his father and mother, I have not seen them, nor did he acknowledge his brothers or known, know his own children, for they have observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you. Did you notice that? In a whole burnt sacrifice on your altar. Oh, bless his substance, Lord. That's his prayer now. Accept the work of his hands. Strike the loins of those who rise against them. How do you like that? That sounds like I wouldn't want to rise against Levi. And of those who hate him, that they may rise not again. 
Interesting, by the way, and I don't know if you caught it, but in verse 8, the term he uses there is Thummim and Urim. Did you see that? That goes all the way back to Exodus 28. In Exodus 28, and please don't miss this. In Exodus 28, God creates the clothing for the high priest. And in his pouch are two stones. One called the Urim and one called the Thummim. Every time in Scripture, other than this, when the two are listed, Urim always comes first. Urim, by the way, try these words with me, just for the sake of it. Urim. Urim means lights. Can you say, Tumim. Tumim, nice. Tumim means perfections. Now, might I suggest to you, I mean, there's all kinds of people with all kinds of weird ideas, in my opinion. Like, they think that they were like magic stones, and when you put them in, the color, colorful stones would light up like a light bright. Now, I, I, maybe that sounds really fantastical, but I kind of have a simpler, I'm kind of a simple guy, and I kind of think maybe one was a yes and one was a no. And I get it, because lights would be yes. Perfections, like something needs to happen to get this right, is a no. Consistently throughout Scripture, a white stone and a black stone speak for that. In many cultures, for instance, in the Jewish culture, who pulls from this, when Paul says, and when it came time for us to vote against, I cast my vote against the people that he had arrested, literally, I put my black stone. If you were in a jury trial among Judaism, what would happen is you were given two stones, a white stone and a black stone, and they would pass around a pouch at the end, and the jury would put one stone in. And then what would happen is you just counted the white stones and black stones. There was the idea. And if you're like, mm, man, things ain't looking so good, you got black stone the whole time, you're a guilty man. Now the reason I say that is, if that be the case, let's say that if that were, just follow me on this, if the Urim was, yes, the lights, God says, clear, go, and the the Tumim was perfections, the idea that, all right, now, okay, well, let's, let's clean this up a little bit before we can do anything. Both answers are sufficient for prayer. And let me start on that, by the way, because please hear me in this. I talk to people and they're like, I've just been praying, but the Lord ain't answering my prayers. Because no wasn't an answer. You know, it's like, I just, I've been praying for this thing. I'm just sitting here waiting. And just, God, you can answer anytime. It's like, no! It's like, anytime you want, you get this answer. And what's interesting is, if that be the case, Saul, do you remember Saul, the king, in, in his rebellion, a great calling but no consecration? In 1 Samuel 28, when Saul is at towards the end of his life, it says, listen, when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him. Listen, listen, listen. Either by dreams or by Urim, or by the prophets. Do you see something missing? He's like, oh God, no dreams that say yes? No Urim? Okay, you ever do that? Okay, you, you play like this dumb luck thing, right? And you're like, Lord, if you really want me to go to that party, let it be heads. Tails. Hmm. Two out of three. Lord, if you really... Right? And you're just like, it's like, and all that, but this point's like, Lord, if you really don't want me to go to that party, let the coin land on, the, on its corner and stay there. Oh. And we'll ignore all that. Not that we should be doing that anyways. If the Lord doesn't want us going somewhere, we should just hear it. But you get the idea somewhere in all of that? That it was like Saul was like, hey, anytime you want to say yes, and God's like, no. Saul, we've already talked, and you're not listening to what I have to say. Why would we have a longer talk? This is not an issue of information at this point. This is an issue of obedience. And I think it's interesting here that they're in the other order. Except with Levi, it's like, but what's interesting is Levi was cursed by their dad. It was Levi that he said, let my soul not enter their, their assembly. But he says, hey, may the, may the perfections and the lights. Some of us are familiar with that. We know that kind of our walk with Christ has been God perfecting us and then telling us to go. God clean us up and then telling us to go. Somehow, y'all, maybe you just thought, man, you just like the Lord just saved you and off you went to the races. For me, it was kind of like we went to basic training. So for Levi, the prayer is purpose and victory. Maybe you're kind of one of those people today where you feel like purposeless. Like, why am I even here? What am I doing? Perfectly not in church, but I mean in life in general. I mean, is there, is there really any purpose? And I feel like I'm losing everything. You notice he says, hey, look at those that rise up against him, strike him in the loins and let him never get up again. So which of these is you so far? Reuben, Reuben, life and life and life. <laughs> Judas, efficiency and strength. 
levy, purpose, and victory? Might I say even purpose and productivity? Make them productive in this. Benjamin's our next. Verse 12. Of Benjamin, he said, The beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him, who shelters him all the day long, and he shall dwell between his shoulders. Wow. Wouldn't you want that said of you? I go, wait a minute. Beloved, dwelling safely, sheltered, and dwelling between shoulders? I get it. A little boy riding on his dad's shoulders. It's intimate. The Lord carrying the burden. Shoulders are often used of a person that's now forced to labor. The prayer for Benjamin is simple. Intimacy and safety. And maybe that's you today. And can I say, I can see why those two would walk hand in hand. Because if you've been hurt... Maybe you've been hurt by a religious system. And to be honest, maybe you've just been hurt by making some stupid choice of trusting someone you should never have trusted. But whatever that thing is, then you're like, mm, that's it. Nobody gets all of my heart, not even God. You'll never know this. Beloved, sheltered, dwelling, safety between God's shoulders. God says, don't rob yourself of that. I just want to love you. Interesting, because it is Benjamin that gets the area of Jerusalem, and it is between the mountains. It's as if those were shoulders, and they get to rise in between them. Well, maybe for you the thing is, all right, God, I need to be intimate with you, not just ticking boxes, not just yes, sir, but not just father, but daddy, Abba. Because he tells us that the spirit that he's given us is the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Daddy, Abba. You can hear it today, by the way, in Israel. Children following their fathers going, Abba, Abba. That's not, excuse me, sir. That's intimate and safe. Joseph is our next, verse 13. And Joseph, it says, Blessed of the Lord is his land. Notice if you can pick out the key word that seems to be repeated a lot here. With the precious things of heaven, with the dew and the deep lying beneath, with the precious fruits of the sun, with the precious produce of the months, with the best things of the ancient mountains, with the precious things of the everlasting hills, and with the precious things of the earth in its fullness. Did you get something standing out there? Did I do it well enough? And in the favor of him who dwelt in the bush. We know who that is. That's Exodus 3. Let the blessing come upon the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. His glory is like the firstborn bull and his horns like the horns of a wild ox. Together with them he shall push the peoples to the ends of the earth and there are ten thousands of Ephraim and there are thousands of Manasseh, which is interesting because Manasseh was actually the largest growing group between those two censuses. They grew 63%. And yet here, notice in this, as he gives Joseph, it's really simple, it's provision. That's obviously the clarity here. Provision and progress. It's like, look it. You've given him precious things from heaven, precious fruits and precious produce and precious things of the hills, precious things on earth. You've certainly provided for him beautiful and precious things. But you know what the problem is? Is that when God blesses us with lots of precious stuff, we tend not to progress. That's the time where we tend to settle down. Maybe you know someone like that. It just seems like they, all kinds of things land into their lap and it's free. It seems like everywhere they go, someone's giving them something. And you go, why can't that be me? Because you belong to some tribe and you should be busy. And the dangerous thing here is when we start looking and thinking what we should have is what they, what they do have. Because you'll never be happy with what God has given you if you're staring at somebody else's something God has given them. But if you are the kind that God does bless him, can I say, I warn you in this, you hang out with me long enough, you'll see this. I get this. I live this weird charm life, and I don't know why it is, but God's, in his great grace, it seems like, the funny thing is they sometimes give me things like coffee, and so if you like coffee, hang out with me, because I'm not a coffee fan. But people are like, let me just, I just made this fresh coffee just for you, and you're like, thank you. 
But the beautiful thing is, is that in whatever God blesses us, it is always to progress. See, what if God gave us stuff, but the purpose behind the stuff he gave us was so that people could come to know him? Could we do that? Could we turn that around and do something with it? Because, man, when God gives, when he blesses in such a way with such provision, may it be that we would seek to grow in that and to grow his kingdom just the same in it. So is that you today? God, in your provision, cause me to progress. It's Reuben, life and fruitfulness. Judah, sufficiency and strength, if you will. Levi, purpose, if you will, and productivity. Benjamin, intimacy and safety. Joseph, provision and progress. Zebulun, notice it's like one, you get these kind of corporate verses, 18 and 19. Look at it with me. And Zebulun, he said, rejoice, Zebulun, and you're going out. And Issachar, in your tents. They, speaking of both of them, shall call the right, shall call the people to the mountain. There they shall offer sacrifices of righteousness. They shall partake in the abundance of the seas and the treasures hidden in the sand. Can I just say, in both of the cases, there's a joy there, but interesting that the two of them are very different people. With the case of Zebulun, notice he's going out, and notice the case with Issachar, he's going in. And can I just say that maybe that's really the issue here? Is that is that what Zebulun is? As we were with Issachar, he's praying joy and in reach. There are those, by the way, what you're going to find is they're go get them kind of people. Man, you just say, whatever it is, you're just like, all right, I'm going in there. They're kind of like the dog. You know, you ever watch those people that they take their master for a walk kind of thing? You know, you watch them and it's like, you know, they come to, they go to shake your hand and one arm's like twice as long as the other one because they've been walking their dog. They're like, excuse me, I'm going to, whoa, and off they go. And then there are others you ever see where they're kind of dragging their dog. They're like, right? But it's just happy to be in the house by itself, sitting there. You can't get the first dog to sit next to you by a fire watching something. The second one will sit there all day. And can I say, if you're one or the other, make sure that in both cases, the joy comes by being in his presence. You're aware of that, right? Psalm 1611 says, in your presence is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And here's my challenge is, in both cases, God has a use for you to draw people. For those that go out there, go out there where they are and get them. But go in the joy of the Lord. Like it tells us when it speaks about the word of God never returning empty. And it says you'll go out with joy and bring forth. And it says the mountain and hills will bring forth and clap their hands before you. Imagine you're like going out there and I'm going to go tell people about Jesus. He says how beautiful on the mountains are the feet which, by the way, in the Middle East, is the last thing that you think is beautiful. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And he says, man, the trees and the mountains, they're going to sing and come. They're like, yeah, that's what we're looking for. And for some of you, that's what God's called you to do. Get out there. Get where the people are and let them know about the joy of the Lord and let them know Jesus wants you. There are others, by the way, you just, you just kind of just kind of You're more than Issachar. In which case, what happens is you're like, you know what? I want to be at church. Why don't you just come join me? Now, I'm not talking about like y'all cute and you go out there and someone just really thinks it's a date. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the kind of person where no matter where you are, people are just drawn to you. Well, then use that in the joy of the Lord and don't make yourself the end. People say, so why are you so happy all the time? Girls, I eat well. I sleep right. Or whatever. I mean, it's like the, the, the stupid answers we give where we know that's not what God's called us to. If people are drawn to you, then draw them in joy. And you can't get the joy anywhere but in the presence of the Lord. And it's like, look it. Do you really want what I have? Come and meet my Savior. Or let me just bring him to you right now. And the reason I said that, both of them have a purpose notice in this. And maybe that's you today. And you're like, you know what? I know that the Lord's called me, but I want to be used for an eternal purpose in this. I don't want to just be temporary. I want to be used permanently in this. Well, then God use me in that. Maybe that's your prayer today. You know what? I feel like I'm just a Zebulun. I feel like I just really chomping in it, but I, I'm, I'm so afraid to go out there because I'm so afraid I'll fail. You know what? If you don't go out there and God's calling you, you've already failed. What do you have to lose? It's like some stuff you'll never get but out on the field. The good news is if we, don't, if we know that we don't know what we're doing, then the Lord has to clean up after it anyways. He's going to. And go. Or draw in. But be used. And my prayer is do it in joy for the purpose of God. Gad, verse 20. To Gad he said, Blessed is he who enlarges Gad. 
dwells as a lion, tears the arm and the crown of his head. He provided the first part for himself because of the lawgiver portion he was reserved there. He came with the heads of the people. He administered justice of the Lord and his judgments with Israel. Did you kind of see all of those words that look there? There's lawgiver, there's administrator, there's judgment. Can I say with God, it's leadership and wisdom. Maybe you're one of those kind of people. What I've learned is most people that think they're called to leadership really are just bossy. Usually the people who are called to leadership actually don't actually ever seek it. It just seems like people get behind them all of a sudden. There are others that are trying to get people behind them, and what happens is they get behind them and they leave. But it says, you know what? For such a person, he says, give them such a leadership, a gad, and in that, give them wisdom to lead, that they would administer justice and judgments properly. Maybe that's you today. 22 is Dan. Notice you get one verse if you were Dan. Dan's a lion's whelp. He shall leap from Bashan. That's it. Mm-hmm. Leaping from Bashan. It's interesting because Dan actually kind of gets a rough edge on all of this. Dan, by the way, will be called Dan and the others in Genesis 46. In First Chronicles 1 through 10 in the lineages, he doesn't show up at all. In Revelation 7, where they're calling those 12,000 from each tribe, Dan does not show up. So when the leader of a particular cult said, well, we are clearly one of those 12 tribes, you know, we're part of Revelation because we are of the tribe of Dan because we're Danish. And I'm thinking, well, that's funny because if you read Revelation carefully, you'd realize he doesn't show up there. The whole point is it says, well, he's just jumping. And we get the idea that what ultimately happened is he was allotted territory in the land and he didn't like it. So they as a group jumped up and actually took land up north by Sidon. And can I say for such a person, I get it, can I just say, Freedom and contentedness would be the prayer. That you would sense the freedom God gives you and you would stop trying to be free on your own terms. And you'd be content in what he has for you. Because the dangerous thing is, is that you could be so busy being free, you'll free yourself completely out of a place where you need to be. And Dan can be that. By the way, can I just warn you, Dan means judgment. Daniel is judgment of God. In Jordan, Jordan means flows from Dan because Dan's at the northernmost part of Israel then. Is that what you want to be? You know, it tells us not to associate with those given to change. Can I warn you? There are some people, it's like they're constantly leaping and they can never settle down. And we live in a culture where commitment is like shunned upon. Especially when you, I mean, put these together. People would rather live together than get married. We don't call ourselves husband and wives anymore. We call ourselves partners because that's a lot more broad of a term. We don't even like to say we'd rather go month to month. Our, you know, we, you know, our rent is charged per week. And you live in a culture where they think, God, what's the purpose? And you're like, I belong to a church. And people go, what? And they think like you, something's wrong with you. What's wrong with you? Because all they want is to be free and they think it isn't freeing. Can I just say, being married is one of the most freeing things that ever happened to me. But the most freeing thing that ever happened to me was surrendering myself to the King of Kings. Because there were, I didn't have the freedom to say no to sin before that. And I didn't have the freedom to serve. I had the freedom to kill myself. And I was doing a pretty good job. But Jesus changed all that. So when someone markets a freedom that's self-destructive, Sounds like Dan to me. Maybe today that's the prayer you need. God, make me content with what God really has for me. To stop bouncing around, shopping for something new versus investing in what he's called me to. Verse 23, you notice we've got our last couple. Naphtali. Oh, Naphtali, satisfied with favor and the full blessing of the Lord, possessed the west and the south. Boy, how great is that one. Favor and gratitude. Wow. God, I want favor, but make me thankful for everything you've given me. Boy, you've noticed that being thankful is almost, people look at you like there's something, like there's a defect in you if you're thankful. We'd rather say cheers than thank you. I'm not good with that, by the way. I understand if someone does something they're supposed to do. You know, I ordered food, got table service, and they handed me something. You're getting paid for that. But I still say thank you. 
And I had to go through, you know, even do this, like, I don't know how many of you pray before your meals. I do, but I'm like, what are we praying? Bless the food. What the heck does that mean? Bless means like make happy or stoke out. Like I want my food happy while I'm eating it. Remove toxins. Well, some of you that are more concerned about germs, I can see why you'd pray such a thing. But I realize I've gotten so caught up in this sort of saying grace thing that I missed the whole purpose, which is to thank the Lord for the fact that I could eat this. My goodness, Lord, I could pay for this and I could eat this and you give me taste buds to enjoy this. I don't know if I've said it lately, but thank you. It's amazing the difference that's made even in me as I eat something because I actually enjoy the meal more by thanking the Lord for whatever it is he's given me. And the reason I say that is, again, Naphtali, it's favor and gratitude. And maybe that's a weak spot for you and maybe that's what you need. Lastly is Asher, most blessed of sons. Let him be favored by his brothers. Let him dip his foot in oil and his sandals shall be iron and bronze. The idea of that is that the guy's not going to wear out anytime soon. As your days, so shall your strength be. As your days are, so shall your strength be. Can I say that what they're praying for Asher is refreshment and perseverance? Dipping your foot in oil. By the way, there are people as a result of this that have read this particular thing and thought it was prophetic. And so they're drilling oil where Asher is, by the way, near Haifa in Israel. Trying to find it. But you know what's interesting is if you look at all of Asher's territory, it's full of olive groves. What's the primary purpose for olives traditionally? Oil. Dipping your foot in oil. I mean, I, would you rather dip your foot? No, I'm not talking about monetarily. Would you rather dip your foot in something that was going to be like refreshing or crude oil? And the reason I said that, maybe take crude oil because then I could buy something refreshing. But the idea is simple. God, refresh Asher and give him perseverance. Sandals that are bronze. Let his strength be as long as his days are. So let me go through these and we'll close this up. With Reuben, life and fruitfulness. With Judah, sufficiency and strength. With Levi, purpose, productivity. With Benjamin, intimacy and safety. With Joseph, provision and progress. With Zebulun, joy and outreach, influence. With Issachar, joy and inreach, compelling. With Gad, leadership and wisdom. With Dan, freedom and contentedness. True freedom and contentedness. With Naphtali, favor with gratitude. With Asher, refreshment with perseverance. Which of those is you? Follow me through the rest of this. There is no one like the God of Yeshurun. The God of the upright. Remember, Yeshua means upright. Who rides the heavens to help you. And in His excellency on the clouds, the eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are His everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you and He will say, destroy. Then Israel shall dwell in safety. The fountain of Jacob alone. And the land of grain and new wine, His heavens shall drop dew. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty. Your enemies shall, sub, shall submit to you and you shall tread down their high places. Did you notice, by the way, in verse 26, he says, 20, 26, he says who is like you, O God? In verse 29, he says, and who is like you, Israel? He's like, do you realize how unique our God is? Do you realize how unique you are? Christians, do you realize how unique you are? Or do you think you're just like, kind of like everyone else, only a little weirder because you actually have some place to be on a Sunday? Who is like God, our hero, our helper, high above everything else, perfect in his refuge and perfecting, and in every way protecting us as a rescuer. That's our God. Notice what it says. He rides on the heavens to help you. What other God are you going to find like that one? And we can portray him as aloof and up there somewhere, really not interested and and unconcerned and apathetic. But that's not the God of Scripture. The God of Scripture is just waiting. He's standing there just saying, just tab my hand. I'm coming in. Just let me. Who's like that God? Perfect in every way. Our refuge, everlasting arms that will destroy the enemy. Who's like that God? Hey, there are other people that might want to jump in. They're not God. They want to jump in. They don't have the strength to win, but bless them. They want to try. Our God is the undefeated heavyweight champion of the universe. And can I say, my God has never made a mistake and you will not be his first one. On the other side of it, who's like you? 
Verse 29. Saved, shielded, and safe. Who's like you? You are saved. Who's like you? You know who's like you? Look beside you. That's who's like you. But don't look in the world. You're not going to find people there that are like you. So stop trying to be like them. The world out there needs to be saved. And you're trying to be like that. That's like the lifeguard throwing themselves in the water and drowning just because they want to fit in. Is that what we want to do? Chapter 34. Moses went up on the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, on the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan. Remember, Dan will be the northernmost area. And if Tali... In the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, now we're moving south, the way as far west as the western sea, that's the western border of Israel, to the south, the plains of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. The Lord said, this is the land in which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I've caused you to see it with your eyes, but you won't cross over. And any of you think, man, that's rough. Why would God even show you what you can't have? Because you could see the longing in the law to take you over. But it's Joshua, the Hebrew name for Jesus, that will have to get you there. It's faith that's got to cross over. The law can't get you there. It can get you to the shore. It can show you where it flows from judgment. That's the Jordan. But it can't cross over. What's interesting is I want you to consider that in Matthew 17, Jesus has a board meeting up on a mountain. Do you remember who's there? Other than Peter, James, and John, because Peter's like, boy, good thing I'm here. Let's build tents. You're a fisherman. Good thing on the building tent thing. Moses and Elijah. Moses got to get in. Do you realize? God's like, you know what? I'll get you in, just not right now. It's going to take Jesus before you're going to get in the land, boy. And it says, look, this is the land I swore to give him, but you can't go there now. Verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. Look at that. It just, you know how he died? According to God's word, that's how he died. And it says, and he buried him in the land of Moab. Stop. Did you see that in verse 6? Look at it yourself. Who buried Moses? God. Who else in Scripture did God bury? Do you know why God buried Moses? So no one could dig him up and start worshiping the bones. I remind you, they are carrying someone else's bones with them. Does anyone remember who? Joseph. Remember, Joseph said, hey, when I die, carry my bones back into the promised land. So they got someone else's bones they're carrying. But Moses, God's like, I'll bury him so no one can find him. Could you imagine if they found Moses' bones, what kind of shrine would be there? God's like, that's so not the point. So God buried him in the valley of the, of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Baor, but no one knows his grave to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. The children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. And I remind you again, Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto man to die once, and then after that to judgment. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. Moses had laid his hands on him, so the children of Israel heeded him. And did as the Lord commanded him. But since then there has not arisen a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face in all signs and wonders, which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, before all his servants, and in this land, all this his land. And by his mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. And this is how it closes. Is that it says, you know, By the time that this is being written, clearly Moses isn't writing this last portion. If he is, it's prophetic because he's going to die. And it says, and Moses died. It would be very weird if Moses wrote that while it was happening. So whenever this portion is written, this particular epilogue, it's like from from this day, there's never been a prophet like this one. But interesting, because it was Moses who said, by the way, back in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. From among the midst, your midst, whom your brethren must hear or shall hear. And they didn't call him that prophet they're looking for, a prophet. That was the prophet. There's a specific. There have been a lot of prophets. 
We got 12 that they call minor, although when you get to heaven, don't call them minor. I don't think Daniel will be really happy with these other guys. Obadiah, maybe he writes one chapter, but, you know, some of these other guys are like, really? I'm a minor prophet? What was I, under 18 when I wrote this? But there will be a prophet that's called the prophet. Interesting. He's got to be like Moses. Well, what did Moses do? He delivered the people out. Joshua will take them in. But he took them out of the land of slavery and out of the hand of the enemy. In Luke 1, 76, it tells us when Jesus was born, prophesied over him, you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. In John 1, when he was baptizing, they asked, are you the prophet? Verse 21, he says, oh no, but you're going to, he's showing up in just a moment. When Jesus fed the 5,000 men in John 6, 14, the men said when they saw the sign, truly, this is the prophet who has come into the world. In John 7.40, by the way, then the crowd says when they heard him speak about whoever is thirsty at the last day of the great feast, let him come to me and believe on me. Out of him will torrent living water. The response, truly the prophet who has come into the world. This is him. This is the prophet. When Jesus was entering into during the Palm Sunday and people asked, who is this? As if anyone didn't know. Apparently some didn't. Matthew 21.11, it says that the people said, the multitude said, this is Jesus the prophet. And it's important to note that the one who came to deliver has come. In John 8, 34, Jesus says, by the way, whoever commits sin is a slave to it. But I've come that you would have life. He actually says, but whom the Son sets free is free indeed. It's like, look at today as we go to prayer now. I'd like to start by praying for us. Do you know the gift of Jesus, the deliverer? The one who knew the Father face to face. Who made intercession, but more than that, made propitiation, the payment for our sins. Do you know him? Have you accepted his gift? Are you going to try to do this? What are you choosing? You've got an appointment like me. I don't know when it is. Praise the Lord. Aren't you thankful God hasn't told you? You might think, no, I'd like to know. I don't really think you do. Who knows when that appointment is? God does, but we don't. The question is, are you ready for that appointment? When you do, when God says, what is the thing? And of course, he's going to know. What have you chosen to be right with God? Only one thing is perfect, and that's Jesus Christ. So as we pray for that, I want to just pray right now. Lord God, if, if, there, is be, if there is anyone who is yet to be, is, is even unsure if they've made that choice, today you can make that choice. But then after that, my question to you is, which one of the tribes is it, is, would you say, this is what I need prayer for? And I'm going to ask two things of you. Grab someone you trust or someone you don't know, but they look like they're unthreatening. Grab hold of them and pray with them. Ask what you could pray for for them. And then if you'd like to, email me. And I'd like to pray for you for that very thing. I'm, and my email is fairly simple. Pastor Tony, T-O-N-Y-E, Pastor Tony at gmail.com. I would love to be praying for you for these things. Because if this pastor, Moses, was praying for his people, I'd love to pray for you in the same. So will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much for this text. As you told him it's time to die, his response was, well, let's bless. And then he dies. And I recognize, Lord, that each of these tribes has such a personality, something identifiable, much like our own fellowship, how there are distinct things. And the interesting thing is these are not things that can be identified by culture or by color or by age or by social strata, but rather by the conditions of our hearts right now. And we might be fascinated to know who we might link with in regards to these areas and say, you know, really, truth be told, I'm kind of an Issachar or I'm kind of a Zebulonite or I'm a kind of a dad or... To be honest, I've got issues. I'm kind of a Dan or whatever it is. Lord, whatever it is, speak to our hearts that we could be as a fellowship praying for each other and encouraging each other. Then we could be the blessing you've called us to be. So, Lord, right now, though, we know that it starts by accepting that perfect gift. Whenever that appointment is, God, that we could be confident that we've accepted, we've surrendered our lives to you in such a way that you would transform us being the Lord and Savior of our lives. So we openly confess right now that Jesus is the, the perfect choice. That He died on the cross to pay for all of our sins and shame. All of our guilt. And it died there at the cross 
And just like you promised in Scripture, he died there for our sins. He was buried, and three days later he rose again. And in that now he desires and deserves to be the Lord and Savior of our lives. So we say yes. We say yes, Jesus, be more than a get-out-of-hell-free card. Be the Lord that draws me intimately to you, that I could be right with you, cleansed by the price you paid, and stand before you innocent, perfect, pure, and adopted. Loved and engulfed in your grace. So, we say yes. We say yes to your gift. Have us now. In Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, I ask you to say, Amen. Lord, and I pray now as we seek to minister to each other, make us such people who do. Encouragement to each other, I pray. And thank you for the privilege of another day of being able to serve you in the word. Another day to be able to walk with you and watch you do things in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.